Celestial Podcast, the Doctor Who podcast that keeps fucking up the intro. I'm your host, Joey Morgan. Today I'm here with Mason, a.k.a. the GD256. Read Annihilation. I'm also here with Marcus, a.k.a. the Sentinel. Hey guys, how's it going? And Brian, a.k.a. Briarhardo2. What's up, my boys? All three of them have channels that I will leave linked in the description below. You can check them out. They all do awesome content. Uh, today we're talking about the Big Finish main range, numbers 29 through... You think I know this by now? 36. 36, that's it. Wow. <laughs> all right, we're off to a great start. So that being uh, Chimes of Midnight, Seasons of Fear, Embrace the Darkness, Time of the Daleks, Neverland, Spare Parts, Ish, and The Rapture. Uh, let's jump right into this with The Chimes of Midnight by Robert Sherman. Spoilers as always. Who would like to begin? I can't help but feel like it's going to be Brian. It's going to be me. Go ahead, Brian. <laughs> All right. So Chimes of Midnight is one of those ones that everybody talks about it being brilliant. And like, based on how much people talk about it being absolutely amazing, you'd you'd probably think, oh, well, it's not as good as everyone says. But then you sit down and listen to it for that first time, and it is one of the most haunting Doctor Who stories you've ever listened to. I fucking love it to bits. I, it's it's really funny. It's got a lot of dark humor in there, and it's just a really gruesome, cliche murder mystery with a fun twist on time at the end. I, I really like it. It's just, mm. ah, if Doctor Who was a movie, <laughs> this would be one of the th- plots I'd go for. I can see that, yeah. It's it's got a very good just standalone idea, let alone the fact that it ties wonderfully into the into the larger Eighth Doctor arc in the in the early Charlie audios. It's uh it's wonderful. It's got a wonderful atmosphere to it. Of course, absolutely cracking dialogue because you know Robert Sherman exists, and um and honestly, probably my, still uh, even after all the Eighth Doctor audios I've heard, this is still probably my favorite poem again performance. One of my favorite, at least. Um, he absolutely shines in this and, and, and plays the intrigue of the entire story to perfection. Um, and of course, because this is a story that ties, ties so directly into Charlie Pollard as a character, uh, India Fisher really, uh, really gets to shine a lot in this story too. I also love the supporting characters in this. They're, they're ridiculously fun. Um, truly just wonderful characters. Uh, they're so wonderfully grim. They, they just drag you right into it. it it's got this sort of, I want to avoid saying, a Douglas Adams kind of humor because it's got some dark humor in there, but I think, mm, but, it, but it's not quite trying to be Douglas Adams humor. It's just, it is still its own thing. And, uh, and, th- and that's where it, uh, uh, that's where it shines. I think. Yeah. And I, th- I think like to <laughs> go to the side characters, like they're all kind of one note, but that works amazingly for the story that's being told. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I mean, and the, as the, the story character- goes, sorry, go ahead. Oh no, go- no, go ahead, Marcus. You're good. And as the story goes on, even though they are sticking to their roles, you start getting the impression that something's not right about them. Something's off. And it yeah. starts happening even before everything goes nuts. Another thing I like about this story, that uh, out of all the stories Rob Shearman wrote for Big Finish, this one's probably the most Rob Shearman, as we get sort of this nice little concept going on and then as it goes forward we realize that it's a there's a lot more going on and it's a bit more fucked up than we think and <coughs> excuse me but uh 
Uh, I, mean, yeah. I, mean, I mean, you bring up Rob Sherman's writing style. You kind of have two extremes. You have like the deadline side, which is so utterly grim and horrific that you know you you just so terribly depressed by the end. You got the Sherzo side that that is somewhat romantic. It, it's still got that grim side to it, but it is. I, I want to avoid saying lighthearted, but it's more. This has I mean, this I, nice I, blend of both sort yeah, of things that, he yeah, has yeah. that you know is so prominent throughout his non-Doctor Who writings, and this is just like a perfect example of a Rob of Rob Shearman Doctor Who story. Yeah, definitely, definitely. It's it's so great. Um, I also, I particularly, oh, go ahead. I also noticed on my listen to in preparation for this that. In his first three stories, I can't speak for sure, so and it didn't show up in Deadline, Rob Shearman touches on the subject of hero worship, but in each one, he does it a different way. Like in Holy Terror, you had how the people worshipped their king, and then Frobisher, or how the child revered his father. And then in Jubilee, you had how the people and the rulers sort of perverted their worship of the doctor. And then here, you have Edith's idolization of Charlie. And Every time he did this story about hero worship, he always touched on it in a different way and how it's not exactly the best thing. I can yeah. I can definitely I, tell you he touches on it in Shirts. Oh, in Deadline? Well, yeah, Shirts and Deadline. Deadline's a, a big one about Oh, that. yeah. Yeah, it really both of them. Deadline fucks me up. I really want to cover that. I want to really, I really want to do an Unbound Celestial podcast because, oh, I love those stories. Um, but I digress. Yeah, uh, definitely. Um, there's some really heavy themes going on throughout it, but it's but it's still presented in a very accessible way because, like you said earlier, Mason, I believe, um, the characters do seem to be one note because the story keeps looping back on itself. Um, and so you can sort of hammer home those points as as the Doctor and Charlie remember certain events uh, that the other characters don't. They keep getting brought back to stage one, except for, um, you know, with minor changes each time. And that's probably the most interesting part of the aspect aspect about the story for me um, is that time loop. And, and it is that continuous reset at midnight. It's such a great, it's such a great plot device. I, I think it, I think it's such a brilliant idea at the center of the story. Yeah. And I, I do think that the story is a really good, like way that like, cause on one hand it is very heavily a part of the arc that is being set up. But on the other hand, you could probably listen to this out of context and still just be immersed in the story being told. And I think that's a really that it's like the the sign of a really great story that's heavily focused on the story arc, but it's still its own story and it tells its own story just amazingly well. Oh yeah, and and as far as I know, like a lot of people have have listened to this story completely out of context because it is so highly recommended and, and they and they hear it just fine. Um, I had heard chimes with the context of, of the arc beforehand, but it's still, it still, it works fine in both ways. You know, if you don't have the context of the arc, it's just a wonderfully atmospheric story. If you do have the context of the arc, it's, it's even better because you, because you have that extra level of character depth there, um, particularly in the form of Edith. I love Edith as a character um, I, and, and her connection to Charlie. Yeah. I want you to imagine being about six or seven years old listening to this. <laughs> Well, I wasn't uh, six or seven oh, no. years old when I listened to the Chimes uh, of Midnight Bride. <laughs> that a lot. It it gets really gruesome at points. Oh, <laughs> maybe, maybe this is one you don't want your little kids listening to at night because no, none of Brian, none of us were saying up to this point that our kids should be listening to Chimes of Midnight. <laughs> I I know, but I feel like I should bring that up because a lot of people. 
a lot of who nerds like to enjoy Big Finish as a family. And, uh, no. Definitely listen to this one in broad daylight. (laughs) If you're going to have your kids listen to it. Because I I listened to it late at night the first time I listened to it and about shat my pants as a six-year-old. I've never I've never seen Big Finish as a as a family experience. It's very personal, I think. Really? Yeah. Hello, I've 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 listened to a few audios with like my dad in the car while we go on drives or whatever. Mm. I mean, I, I, I've I've listened to a couple with with, my, with like my brother, but like or my sister, but like never like you know like as like a group listening, you know, it's just because like hey, I'm listening to the story. You want to join in? Um, Long car rides normally consist of me and my dad listening to some Doctor Who audio stuff. So, cool. All right. Uh, anything else to add on the Chimes of Midnight? I mean, just for me, I always like the small things in stories, the little details, and one of my favorite moments in this story is when the Doctor figures out what's going on, like after they have the whole reveal of Edward Grove is alive and the doctor's just like, Oh nonsense. The paradox needed to generate that type of energy. Charlie, we need to go. Mm -hmm. I just love that scene. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's great stuff. Um, Yeah. And I think uh, Chimes of Midnight really just, it it stands the test of time. It it speaks for itself. It's it's a wonderful adventure. It's still, I mean, I haven't done an eighth doctor ranking in a while, but I'm pretty sure it it would still be my favorite eighth doctor story. Um, I don't think it's been, uh, dethroned so far, but uh, well, but I guess it's definitely about... not my favorite. I uh, it is it is a really really good one. Yeah, and it's definitely. a very good one for beginners wanting to get into Big Finish. Yeah, and and, and I will say All that right. like even though it's not my favorite, quote unquote Christmas Big Finish story, like I, I I will say this is the one I listen to almost every Christmas. I've only ever listened to it once at Christmas time, and uh, it's on Christmas Eve. I never. I never like went back to it on Christmas Eve, but like, but like, it was a cool listening experience. Yeah, it's great. Uh, all right, so let's do ratings out of ten for the Chimes of Midnight, Brian. Could it really be anything less than a ten? Of course, I'd give it a ten as well, Mason. Ten. Ten and Marcus. I mean, there's a reason this is one of the most iconic stories in Big Finish's catalog. Ten. Yeah. Nice. That wow. Hey Brian, we're actually off to a good start. How are we gonna fuck this up by the end? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we've we've never been unanimous on the first try. Um, well, <laughs> embrace the darkness oh, might God. be where we start to diverge in opinions a lot. See, I think Brian, you and me, you, you and I, we, we share a lot of the same opinions on the Charlie audios, but I guess we'll see. All right, let's move on to Seasons of Fear by Paul Cornell and Carolyn Simcox. Who Is would it like by to begin? Paul Cornell? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't fucking know that. It's so fun. Brian, how could this not be a fucking Paul Cornell? It's so good. I just didn't realize it was Paul Cornell. I thought it was. Wow. Holy shit. I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> but it so, makes uh, a lot of sense that it's Paul so, so, Cornell. Self proclaimed expert on, uh, on Eighth Doctor, early Eighth Doctor audios here, people. All right. Um, Who would like to begin with this one? I will. Go ahead. Because this one is my favorite Eighth Doctor audio. Ooh. You know, I I first got all the Eighth Doctor stuff when Big Finish had their 99 for 99 sale. And I marathoned them all back to back, pretty much, from Storm Warning to Zagreus. And for the most part, I was just sort of on autopilot listening to them. I I was just sort of not really plugged in. 
And then I got to Seasons of Fear. And that was the first one that really engaged me. I love this story so much. From its clever um, playing around with time to the fact that the Doctor is trying to stop a villain that he inadvertently creates to one of the best monster reveals in Big Finish, I think, because you genuinely don't see it coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for how, yeah, from, how many like little bits of foreshadowing are in this story that it's going to be that monster? It you really don't see it coming. <laughs> and I mean, part of it, too, is it's a monster oh, man, from do, a, do it. let's be honest, universally reviled story. I mean, like, do I have to be that one asshole that was like, ooh, I kind of, like, theorized it might be the Nymon before it was revealed? <laughs> do I, was that just me? Mason, are you with me on this one or no? Well, I, I, I'll I, be honest. I listened to this, like, first in my Big Finish collection because I got a bunch of eight Doctor stuff first. And this was before I had really been watching Classic Who. So I had no idea who the oh, hell the Nymon was when I was listening to oh, it. okay. Gotcha. I, was list- I remember oh. my just being like, oh shit, all that foreshadowing makes sense, demon bull. Ah, uh, okay. Speaking yeah, of foreshadowing, yeah. this is also the debut of Centris, who will come back in Neverland. Oh, yeah. And, oh, the, yeah. De- and the debut of Don Warrington, who is still my favorite Rassilon. Oh, right. Yes. We ate, this takes The framing setup for this takes place during Zagreus while the Doctor's in the Matrix. Actually, I think I mean, I mean, I mean, this 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 one kind of this one kind of sets up like all the upcoming Eighth Doctor stories except for Embrace the Darkness because you even got the um the Dalek from Time of the Daleks in here. Oh, no, not so great. Which is funny been. when I first anyway. when I first re-listened to that and that Dalek showed up, I'm like, oh my god, it's the Recon Dalek. <laughs> oh, yeah, um, yeah, it, it's just I think it's a it's a great. It, it, it works so well both as an individual idea and and much like chimes actually um and as like uh this, this larger piece in the charlie arc it's it's a bit of a shame that it actually follows chimes of midnight because if chimes of midnight wasn't so damn good and wasn't in all its rob shearman glory this i think would be appreciated a lot more as a story oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah 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 i mean it's and um, like the performances in this one are really fucking good too Everything. Oh yeah, yeah. Every every bit of dialogue feels like quick witted and like fucking just on point in the delivery. So this is oh, a, this yeah. a really nicely directed and written one. Mm-hmm. And like how I Sebast- love um... oh, and, and like and like how Sebastian Grill just like as the story goes on and you go to new locations, he just like gets older and older, and you can like feel his like worldview changing and you can feel him changing as a person as his entire life just starts centering around wanting to kill the doctor yeah, yeah I like love I Sebastian said, he's trying, the doctor's trying to stop a villain that inadvertently he is creating yeah yeah um, yeah, yeah it is a villain that the doctor has inadvertently created and I, and also I think this, this story as a whole is, is one of the better usages of of like that that sort of race across time there have been a couple stories that i've tried to do that in the, in the past but i don't think i think this is probably my probably my favorite use of it like no story has done it this well um because you have a bit more a bit uh it's a different way of doing that connective tissue across time it's not just like it's a bit it's a, a bit more grounded you know yeah, yeah I think, because I it's think not like what it is it's I mean, a bit I, more I, grounded <laughs> it's it takes place on one planet across a couple different time zones and it isn't like six to twelve parts long yeah, I mean, like, it, it, 
I mean, I don't want to compare Seasons of Fear to The Chase, but I mean, The Chase is the first example of of that kind of story. And in that case, you've got, you know, the TARDIS landing somewhere, the Daleks come immediately after them, and it's it's a literal race through time. In this case, it's Sebastian Grail in a situation, the Doctor finds him there, we get out of that situation, the Doctor catches up with Grail in another time period, all those years have passed for him, and it's and the Doctor only saw him, like, minutes ago. Which, I love you know, that. You just... I, pointed out something interesting too unlike the chase or the daleks master plan this time it's the doctor doing the chasing rather than the doctor running oh yeah that's That's a really good point yeah yeah um which is weird because any another thing that's different from most sort of race across time fight across time stories is that in this case the doctor is in some ways the threat isn't he I mean, not not that he's, like, the literal villain of the story, but, like, he's hunting down the villain because he knows that Grail is a legitimate threat to his life, so he takes it upon himself to hunt hunt down this person. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Um, God, it's it's such an outside-of-the-box story, which, I mean, I guess... I I guess that seems... It's very unique, but also... For a lot of people familiar with Cornell's work, it, it's, you know, it's totally his kind of story. And also it's, just uh, like the clever idea to just, you know, bring back the Nymon for shits and gigs. Why not? It's like <laughs> fucking that's fucking awesome. Like who, <laughs> you who, who, who actually like... sat, who actually <laughs> would sit down and think, you know, other than Paul Cornell that, yeah, bringing the Nymon back is a good idea. Yeah, exactly. And then yeah. actually <laughs> making it work. <laughs> Yeah, because actually, I mean, like, technically, I would I would rather watch Horns of Nymon than listen to Seasons of Fear any day, but that's only because Horns of Nymon is a piss take. This, like, of all things, turns the Nymon into an actual threat, and I love that. We, we, like, I mean, I want to say we've never seen them in this way before, because, but, you know, we've only seen them once before, but it's it's totally different, because, like, it's, it's how the Nymon could have been portrayed in Horns of Nymon, if the costumes weren't fucking ridiculous, and if they weren't playing off of fucking Saldid. Um, so, so you've got a much better villain to, to bounce off of them. You've got them written in a way, for a medium, I should say. You've got them written for a medium that can actually, like, properly propose their threat, and... Um, and and make them legitimately interesting. I love it. It's, oh, and uh, it's uh, another thing I'd like to add is that very very nice, you know, we come full circle ending for Grail's character. Yeah, yeah, it's great that, stuff. That you don't expect that to hit you in the feels, and then it hits you in the feels, and you're like, God damn. Well, see, that's interesting because like I never saw Grail as like this this like maniacal kind of character like he was he was obviously the antagonist of the story but when i was first listening to it i was like eh, I, I could see a redemption arc there I, I could see it not being just like oh yeah let's stop the bad guy um and, and that comes around in the end it, it works so anything else to add on seasons of fear zero out of ten because the phrase how many naimon have you seen today doesn't pop up at all so I guess that uh, moves us over to ratings out of 10. I'll go first. I'm going to give it an 8.5 out of 10. Uh, Marcus? I really want to give it a 10 just because I love it so much, but I'm going to play it safe and give it a 9. Okay. And Mason? Uh, gosh, I don't know. I guess like a 7 or an 8. Oh, okay. And Brian? Well, I already told you it's a 0. No, it's an 8. 
<laughs> Brian, fuck off. <laughs> Wait, isn't this the um, story where Charlie mentions an orgy? Is it? Yes, I went to an orgy once. Charlotte Pollard! Oh, yeah, anything. then 10 out of 10. Easy. <laughs> okay, I... <laughs> God damn it, Wait, Mason. But... <laughs> Wait, but I forgot that line. And when, Marcin, and, and when Marcus then just started saying, I went to an orgy once, I was fucking confused. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, I know we're talking about Big Finish, but can I tell you the story? Oh, go ahead. Oh, I don't care. Go ahead, my man. <laughs> Oh, no, I was just saying, like, that's, like... So, I went to an orgy once. Oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. All right, so let us move on to Embrace the Darkness by Nicholas Briggs. Who would like to begin? Can I start? <laughs> <laughs> Brian, would you like... two were so good! <laughs> Brian, would you like to begin? <laughs> Last two were so good. Okay, look, first time around, this one's okay. Like, it's fine. It's sort of bog standard. And then, like, on re listen, each time it gets shitter and shitter and shitter. And I just, it has a nice concept. I like the idea of aliens which steal your eyes because I don't understand them. It's just, ugh, it's a slog. I'm sorry. I'm bored to tears by it. And that's like I'm one gonna, of the worst uh, things a story can do, in my opinion. Be boring, and this one's boring. I'm going to half disagree with that. I, I'll say I totally agree with you for the last two episodes, but I honestly adore the first two episodes. I think they're great, um, the, just just for the atmosphere. I love the intrigue built up about these, these monsters that take out people's eyes, and I love... Uh, the cliffhanger about like you know the people that like that are in the dark the entire time and then the cliffhanger being that they have their eyes taken out the entire time i adore that it's such there's so much great build-up and atmosphere in those first two episodes that then, the like last... the ending seems really convoluted and you just you just sort of left there going what the fuck was this shit well, it's a shame because because Briggs came up with a really great idea for those first two episodes, and then he just turned it into a really annoyingly standard Doctor Who story for the last two. Which is like Nick Briggs can when he writes Doctor Who well, he writes it fucking well. Like yeah, some of his shit I have loved to bits, but I'm sad to say this isn't one of them. This is one that I, I'm not. I'm I'm just not a fan of this one. I don't like it. I'll agree. I'll agree. Um, yeah. I I think I'm slightly biased towards this one because it was one of my first, like, big finishes stuff. But, like, I, I will say it's not great. Like, the first, like it definitely falls a lot in the last two. But, like, I will never forget the first time I heard this. I think I was walking down a street somewhere and I was listening to this. And then the first cliffhanger happened where Charlie just goes, you lost your eyes. And I just stopped dead, like, dead center in the street and, and, and like, the sidewalk. And it chilled me. It oh was yeah! Great. Yeah, it's 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 a great cliffhanger. Um, yeah, just like, and honestly, like just talking about it, I forget what happens in this in the second two episodes because it gets so so annoyingly. Standard. I only remember oh, because remember. of what I only remember because of how many times I've re listened to it because of course I fucking have me being <laughs> a again nerd. It, it's it's nothing special. It's like. They're, there's a they're about to blow up something and they have to like turn off some warheads and that it's that for an hour. Oh, fuck, fucking Briggs. 
Yeah, the <laughs> climax is where I have most of my problems with this story, too. Like, I love the tension and the atmosphere of the first half of this story. And I love how it's a story that can only work in an audio format, you know, because otherwise you'd just be looking at an hour and 45 minutes of a black screen. But yeah, then you get the climax and you get the Solarians, that other race, and you get how, and it's just, for me personally, one of my least favorite tropes in fiction in general is that, oh, this entire conflict was started by an easily avoidable misunderstanding. And I just hate that trope so much. And that's what this climax falls on. And I just, it, yeah. See, I don't entirely hate that trope. I, I mean, I don't even entirely consider it a trope. It's just like, oh, I mean, that's that's the source of a lot of plots, isn't it? You know, just like if if, if this one event had been changed, if something had, had, had gone different, you know, maybe we wouldn't be in this situation. I don't think it's that bad, personally. Oh. Also, yeah. don't most of the Silurian stories act on sort of like a variation of that plot line anyways? Like, I love those. Yeah, yeah. Save for like Warriors of the Deep. Hey, 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 you're right. But hey. <laughs> um... <laughs> so, um, yeah, uh, just, if it comes, yeah, I, I agree. Like, see, now, Brian, do you think it becomes like an absolute slog halfway through, or do you think it's like it's it's just the worst the entire way? Like I don't think it's end. the worst the entire way. I, I do, I I do think that that first half is pretty solid. Like it it's still not like one of the things that's like oh wow this is really fucking cool. But you know I can I can sit down and enjoy it, but not anymore because knowing what comes after that like it it kind of just ruins that first half for me. That's always sort of how it worked. It, the whole story has to be judged as a whole story. Ah, that's fair. That's fair. I can take that. All right. Um, well, I guess anything else to say on Embrace the Darkness? Because there hasn't been much to talk about, I guess. <laughs> it's a shame, too, that this story is just so blah. Because the I, I remember really liking these side characters. Mm. You know, especially the... Oh, what's her name? The woman who was really angry and bitter about having lost her eyes the entire time. I um, really liked her in her art. Uh, yeah. Story. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know. I know what you're talking about because wait, what's the name? Oh, fuck, I can't find it. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, I know what you're talking about because like those characters are really well built up because it is such a such a small and personal story to begin with, and it has all I'm, that atmosphere. But yeah, I mean, just totally. Sorry about the motorcycle driving down the street. There are some really standout moments in this one, though. I, uh, I I really like the bit where that woman gets her eyes back because she's crying and you think something's wrong. And it, it's, it feels really, you know, it's a bit of tension injected to an otherwise dull bit of Doctor Who. And you know, then the reveal that she has her eyes back is actually pretty nice. So that's yeah. not to say there isn't anything to enjoy about it. It's just most of it's dull, I think. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I guess that about does it for Embrace the Darkness. I'm going to give it a 5 out of 10. Brian? I'm going to agree with that. Cool. Uh, Marcus? 6. 6. And Mason? I think I'll also give it a 5 because as much as I like that first cliffhanger, I've never had like an urge to go re-listen to this one. Yeah, it is a shame. Oh, it's such a shame because it could have been so great. Such a great idea. All right, uh, let's move on to The Time of the Daleks by Justin Richards. Who would like to begin? 
Mason, you should. I don't want to. Uh, I, <laughs> why, I'll, why be I'll be honest. Why, this why is, is the one I remember the least about. Uh, so, so let's see. There, there's Daleks. Um, <laughs> that, that, that there are. <laughs> and I, I think I've heard somewhere that this is like it takes some ideas from Evil of the Daleks. Which I would comment on, but as of yet, I have not seen Evil of the Daleks yet. See, that's why I was making recommendations to you recently, and you didn't take them, and you would have been more prepared for this if you had taken the time to watch Evil of the Daleks. But honestly, they're wrong because it doesn't have that much to do with the story. So, uh... <laughs> it's sort of just the Daleks are using the same time travel concept they use in that one. In honestly, okay. like. like... I, I kind of like the time travel concept of this. It's it's well done. Um, well, it takes that time travel concept from evil and explores it a bit better and more. Yeah, just, just in a less interesting story. Yeah. <laughs> like, a significantly less interesting like, story. That, that is the one great thing about this story, is what it does with that time travel concept. That's done beautifully. Everything else is kind of just... Like, there's this whole political thriller thing going on because Shakespeare's been taken out of time, and uh, it's it's just, ugh. It's yeah, so, no, it's like, it starts it's off so with this lame. really interesting concept of, you know, Shakespeare's gone missing, and then that just gets taken over by such a boring Dalek story. It's oh, like, actually, yeah. you, actually, could, you could do this story <laughs> well by injecting Daleks into it, too. Like, there is a way to do this well, I think. But this... This manages to just miss the mark on so many levels. Actually, looking at the cast list right now, I totally forgot about this, but I remember noting it when I first listened to it that Clayton Hickman does some Dalek voices in this. I don't even remember them. I mostly remember them as all Nick Briggs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, I mean they're, they're similar enough. You, you won't really notice, but it's just worth noting that, you know, Clayton Hickman does some Dalek voices in this. Well, someone else uh, did Dalek voices for the other three ones that came before this. I can't remember who it was. Oh? Yeah. I don't remember that, actually. It wasn't Alan Barnes. For some reason, the letter A is coming into my head, but it wasn't Alan Barnes, I'm pretty sure. Hmm. Was it Alistair or something? Maybe. And in those stories, you can tell it's not Nick Briggs because they've basically split up the Dalek voices half and half between them. Mm. But so, uh, know, that's like one of the few things I like about. What's up? That's, that's one of the. That's one of the few things I like about this story is it doesn't just portray the Daleks as tanks. Granted, it's just a very standard, we were lying, tee-hee, tee-hee, you know, way to <laughs> standard <laughs> I love that! <laughs> <laughs> Brian, Brian, do me a favor. You need to record that at some point. <laughs> I'm going to insert the podcast. We were <laughs> lying, tee-hee, tee-hee. <laughs> I fucking love that. Um, yeah, I, but I, I like that they're not just relying on brute force like a lot of Dalek stories will do, but it's just it's just bog standard deception. Yeah, I mean, I do like the the Shakespeare aspect aspect of this because I do like the kid playing Shakespeare in this. And I think the time travel thing with the mirrors was kind of fun. I was about to yeah. say interesting, but it was, but it, I, I'd say it's more so fun than interesting. 
See, this, see this, this is almost like the opposite of the Embrace the Darkness effect. Like, it's got a lot of really cool ideas, but it does nothing with them. And Nick and in Embrace the Darkness, it's got a lot of really, it's got one really cool idea, and it uses it for like half the story and then does nothing with it. But this, like, like it, it, it has all these cool ideas. Like, just like talking about them, like on the surface, it, it, also, it should be great. Like, I love the, the 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 mirror thing that you were just talking about. I love the Shakespeare aspect. I love the Daleks plot in this. I love the Daleks fucking quoting Shakespeare. That's great. Oh um, yeah, that is so good. I love. <laughs> yeah. It should be awesome. It should be a recipe for greatness. One that sticks out in my head, like the one quote, is this Dalek towards the beginning of the story, just looks at Charlie and says, "'Tis now the very witching time of night." (laughs) It's so great. Comes in and I'm like, "Oh, "Oh, nut." It does. Uh, actually, just curious. Does anyone know what's quoted on the cover? I have no clue. I've been trying to decipher it for ages. All I've ever had is the digital version, and I didn't. And I don't think the quality was good enough to see the quotes. Because mm-hmm. I'm just looking at the website right now. I can't, I can't like make out that much. I don't know. If anyone knows, tell me in the comments. Uh, what were you gonna say, Mason? Though. I was just gonna say, like, I, I will give it that. Like, it does have some great like ideas and stuff with the Daleks quoting Shakespeare. And I do remember I had very vivid, like, images in my head, like, while listening to this, mostly. But, yeah, it's just, it's one that, like, I listen to, and I note that it has great ideas. But whenever I think of a story with great ideas, this isn't, all the, like, this isn't necessarily the first one that comes to mind. Oh, yeah, because the, ex- the execution is just so piss poor. Here's what and I think, I think yeah. I'd go, I think I'd go so far as to say this is probably, for me anyway, the weakest story in the Dalek Empire arc. Um, uh, I would agree I, with that, honestly. I, I, I would agree. I, don't, uh, I, I really don't like mutant phase. Mutant phase can die in a hole, but other than oh, that, I this agree. This one's a step I, above I, Genocide Machine for I me. fucking hate mutant phase. Genocide Machine's fine, Brian. You shut up. <laughs> At least we're all in agreement. Genocide Machine was the best. wet oh, definitely. Words, as it's once called, is fucking awful. So, also, can anyone explain to me how the hell any of this ties into Dalek Empire? Because I listened to all of Dalek Empire, and I could not find a single thing that related to any of these stories. There's, oh, they, there's stuff that relates to the Dalek Empire series in the first three. This one just has nothing to do with it, for some reason. It, then why is it called a Dalek Empire story? I I don't fucking know. Maybe because it was the first Dalek story with this doctor, Actually, no, and the first maybe, Dalek story with the other maybe it's doctors. Something to do with time travel and the fact I don't fucking know. <laughs> All right. I know um, that mutant oh, phase connects to Terra Firma, though. So that should be considered a Dalek Empire story, but it isn't. Hmm. Uh. All right. Cool. So I guess uh, anything else to add on Time of the Daleks? All right, then. Okay, so, no, Rings of Time of the Daleks. I did have one thing. I did oh, have one. Go, go so ahead. I feel, I feel like this is the point at, at which I need to state this. Um, a lot of Justin Richards' audio dramas I don't really like. I've read a couple of his books, and those, those were all pretty... Brian, shut up. You've read one of his books. No, I've read Sands of Time and Plague of the Cybermen, and they were Um, enjoyable. But I'm sure Plague of the Cybermen was shite. They were enjoyable. See, Brian, Brian, you say he's a great novelist, but you haven't even read, like, his fucking masterpiece. Theater of War is the best thing he's ever written. 
period. Oh, definitely. I, I love theater. Be bad at some point then. But anyway, thing is, I, I just don't think I'm a huge fan of Justin Richards. <laughs> I don't know why, like his yeah, his audio drama seems to seems to often let me down, but not so much when he's working in spinoff media. It's when he's writing regular Who that I'm kind of thrown off. Because um, like his Jago and Lightfoot stuff is great. I love because uh, he write he writes a lot of Jago and Lightfoot. I believe he wrote a lot of Jago mm-hmm. and Lightfoot. I should say, um, and they're mostly great. But uh, I digress. All right, let's do our rankings for the time of the Daleks. Uh, Mason, go first. I'm going I'm to give this one a five, too, because I could not think of anything to say about this story. All right. I'm going to step it up a little bit. I'm going to give it a 5.5. Brian? I'll give it a six. And Marcus? Four. Damn. Cold. Stone cold Marcus. All right. <clears throat> Here we go. Let's move on to Neverland by Alan Barnes. Who would like to begin? Me because nerdiness Go uh, ahead, then. This, this this one is sort of like it ties directly into Zagreus I think I for some reason Neverland and Zagreus meld into one and the same for me I don't know but it, it's a really nice start to it and I I just really love the idea of anti-time a place where people erased from time go and sort of just fester and become more corrupt and wispy and ghost-like it's just and the fact that it can infect people who are from regular time zones i just ah, i love that concept it's really fucking out there and wild and the story does it really well plus we got we get a lot of a uh, cool cool more new questions about time lord society and how it works so yeah, I think I think it does its main goal of setting out to inject more mystery into Gallifrey really well. Indeed, the story uh, is also the one that officially brings back Lala Ward as Romana, and she's wonderful in this. Um, Wasn't Apocalypse Element before this? Oh wait, shit! You're right. What am I saying? Fuck me. Okay, sorry. To the Eighth Doctor stuff, I should say it brings her back. Um, because she's wonderful in this. I mean, I like her in Apocalypse Element. Actually, she's she's arguably better in Apocalypse Element. But I guess this is her first chronological encounter with the Eighth Doctor, I believe. I do love her chemistry with the Eighth Doctor. Yeah, yeah. Because um, it, I think it's the first time that Romana had ever met a more distinguished Doctor post-Tom. Um because, you know, any other time chronologically that Romana meets the Doctor after Tom, it's, you know, you, you've, you've got... Colin, who is Colin fucking Baker? Um, she was first, she was first taken out of East Space in, in, in the VNAs by McCoy, who is Sylvester fucking McCoy. You know, this is Paul McGann. He, it, it's a totally different sort of interaction. So Romana, I guess, sort of treats the Eighth Doctor as if he's more mature based on his appearance. If that makes sense, I kind of got that off the performance. Yeah, I could see that. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. There's a lot of stuff at the beginning where the doctor's doing a lot of huffing and puffing around that makes me think otherwise, but... I'm just upset the VNAs aren't referenced more, and and McGann doesn't just make constant references to, like, why the fuck did I ever get you out of (laughs) eSpace? But I digress. So, uh, this also is the story to first fully utilize Don Warrington as Rassilon, and he is amazing in this. Oh, I love Don Warrington. He's awesome. 
I, I mean, I always think about what could have been, but uh, I love Don Warrington. Just, just, just imagine, just imagine, Big Finish walks up to Don Warrington in the early 2000s, goes, hey, how would you feel about playing Rassilon? He goes, well, and what if I refuse? Well, Brian, here's the thing. Don Warrington was actually their second choice. He was? Because oh, Christopher oh, Lee shit. said no. They asked Christopher fucking Lee to play Rassilon. Yes. Wait, really? <laughs> and he turned it down because he didn't like Doctor Who. <gasps> oh, no. Oh, that's, that's horrible. Damn shame. Damn. <clears throat> that would have been oh, could, could you do those Christopher hammer Christopher? horror movies but couldn't bear Doctor Who. What a dick. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, man, he would have been great. Oh, man, I'm going to spend the rest of the time thinking about that. <laughs> That would have been so great. Also, um, something I noticed that I kind of forgot about the first time I heard this. I think this was the main range's first two-parter, wasn't it? Yeah, I think the first time that it ever mm-hmm. split a story just into two like hour-long episodes. Um, so that's different. Actually, are yeah. there any others that, like before this that I can think of? Yeah, no, that's what I was thinking of. Because I know after this, they had the Reaping, the Gathering, Tartarus, but I can't think of any before this. Hmm. I don't think so, no. Yeah, I think this is the uh, first one. And I guess because it is an event in that way. Um, because it does directly lead into the 40th anniversary specials of Grace. Um But yeah, I mean I think uh, I think there's some I really mean, cool like Can I ask ex- a question? What's up? Am I am I alone in sort of like considering Neverland and Zagreus to be one big sort of five part story? I'm pretty sure you're alone in that. Okay. Because Neverland is so utterly separate from Zagreus. It's got I'm, nothing to... Like, not that it has nothing to do with it, but, like, tonally, it's so different. Neverland is a, is a more... It's a... It's it's, it's an introvert, introverted commentary. I think, uh, you know, uh, on Doctor Who. No, not on Doctor Who, I should say. But it's but it's about it's about literature, I think. You know, that, that, not, to, not to be all like, ooh, we gotta pay attention to the themes, Brian. Um, but, like, <laughs> but, but, but it's kind of like that. Like, it's it's got these bigger ideas about it, and Zagreus is just like... I mean, like, I, I, do, I do get where the disconnect happens, where... Because Zagreus where, just, just then becomes where, this clusterfuck of ideas and doesn't where know Zagreus is definitely stop. more pulpy than Neverland is, but at the same time, the actual narrative isn't complete unless you listen to both of them. Well, of course, yeah, but like, there, there doesn't make them the same story. Yeah, it's like Neverland and Zagreus is like the keeper of Trocken and Logopolis. They <laughs> lend themselves to each other, but they're not one story. Especially considering Neverland is a whole is is over a whole twelve months before ne- Zagreus came out. <laughs> I think I think I would almost consider Neverland and Zagreus like Infinity War versus Endgame, in which like the second story deals with the aftermath of the first one. Rather than just like being a continuous story, well, Neverland is a complete story. I think Neverland, you know, has a beginning, middle, end, and the Doctor uh, being infected with infected. What did I say? Infected with Zagreus um, is just sort of the epilogue. Of it. It, it, it's a byproduct of the plot of Neverland. It's not. It, it, Neverland isn't written to lead directly into Zagreus. Just a just a, an aspect of Neverland causes the Doctor to cause the events of Zagreus, if I'm making any sense. Yeah, I think so. And I will say, this is also, I think this is kind of the story that, like, definitively ends the Charlie being alive arc. And I think it's one of the best ever story-to-end-the-arc stories that, basically in almost all of Doctor Who, I think. Yeah. 
Because that is its main purpose for existing. Because the Time Lords are like, ooh, no, 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 you can't exist. And she's like, haha, but I can, fuck off. Um, and that's the plot of Neverland. That's all two hours. You don't need to listen to it. So. That's the whole thing. Just the Time Lords <laughs> being like, you're, you're, you're meant to be dead. And Charlie going, ha, nah, bitches. <laughs> She fuck. She fucking. She fucking whips on them. Takes a shit down Centris's throat, and then is like, oh "My God, yo, boys, I exist." Jesus. <laughs> um. Oh, just looking at the cast. I, I didn't realize Ian Howard was in this. He's great. Um. He's one of the Matrix voices. I don't remember him in this. Huh. Anyway, uh, let's see. Anything else to add on Neverland? I did kind of notice something. Um, because obviously Romana's been established as president of the Time Lords, and at the end of the story, Rassilon essentially gives Romana his blessing to continue to be president, and this story ends with the Time Lords rewriting Charlie's fate. Neverland is the backdoor pilot for Gallifrey. Also kind of Zagreus, because Zagreus reintroduces Leela, but I think, I'd say more so Neverland. Eh, no, I think it's more... No, I'd say Zagreus is, is more the backdrop pilot for Gallifrey, because that one at least has Leela in it, and it directly... Like, they even have the lines at the end, basically directly leading into Gallifrey, where Romana's like, oh yeah, this is gonna be the start of a beautiful friendship, or whatever she says. And yeah, that kind of... Oh yeah. Her. So... I don't know. I digress. Uh, let's uh, do our ratings in a 10-4. Neverland. Brian? I give it an 8. Alright. Uh, actually, I also give it an 8. Marcus? 8. 8. And Mason? Oh, no. I, uh, I oh, gonna, no, Mason! <laughs> I was going to give it a 9. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, that's fine, too, then. Okay. <laughs> Imagine um, this voice says 7. I would have gone. <laughs> no, it's awesome. I love this story so much. Nice. All right, so let us move on to the one and only Spare Parts by Mark Flat. Who would like to begin? Can I start? By all means. I can actually start this one because I remember more than the plot about this. So I this is my favorite Cyberman story, I think, ever. And there are so many little things that add up to me loving this story. One, the Mondasian Cyberman is my favorite Doctor Who villain ever. And two, because I listened to the Big Finish stuff before watching the classic show, I really, really liked the Fifth Doctor and Nyssa as, like, characters. So going back and re-listening to this one, it was such a great experience to just hear this really dark story with a Doctor and a companion I really like. And I just love it. It's just so great. Like, the atmosphere, the ideas, the execution of those ideas, it's all awesome. I love it. Yeah, I really like the pacing of this story. Like, you have all these characters, Dr. Min Allen, Sister Min Constant, the Hartleys, Thomas Dodd. You have all this stuff going on, and it doesn't feel congested. It never feels rushed. I think it's paced really well. Yeah, definitely. Um, <clears throat> I think uh, I think it is, it is a story that has a certain series of reveals that it needs to execute at certain times. And it's usually done within the cliffhangers. But, but I mean, like, I think it's... They're all done at the right time. Uh, like, like one it, of my yeah. favorite moments is when the committee becomes the cyber controller. It's just such a great scene. The music, the sound design. Oh, yeah. That. Oh, it's great amazing. Scene. Yeah. Um, but you brought up uh, the Doctor and Nissa earlier, Mason. And 
I really love how this story strains their relationship. Uh, I mean, they they were already like on not okay terms because obviously a lot of the Doctor and Mrs. Ark throughout their solo Big Finish stuff does it, it um does have a direct fallout from Earthshock and Time Flight. Um, and this one obviously being the first time that Nissa has seen the Cybermen since Earthshock, um, this this sort of like strikes a chord with her and she brings up the Adric argument again and it kind of allows us to properly address Adric's death in a way that Time Flight did not. And, uh, and I really appreciate that aspect of the plot because uh, and this is sort of puts the Doctor under, under a microscope about it and she doesn't let it go this time, unlike Time Flight, where, you know, Adric's death is completely forgotten within the first not even five minutes. Well, actually, Joey, in Time Flight, it still haunts them because there is that scene later on where uh, Adric comes around and it's a really clever as a phantom. And oh, oh, but, but you see, but you see, oh, oh. Oh, but you see Brian, <laughs> in that scene in Time Flight where they see all the shit monsters from earlier on in the season, they just couldn't figure out anything to put in there. So they were just like, Matthew Waterhouse, you're basically one of the monsters of the season. You want to get the fuck in there. Jesus Christ. And I just sat there and I laughed. Everybody hates Adric. He's so clever. So clever. Oh, fuck. Um, I was trying to make a valid point about, you know, how poorly Adric's just was handled, but whatever, you know, I digress. (laughs) No, your point point still stands. Yeah, no, it's perfect. Um, You're right. I, yeah, I, I, agree. I agree with you. Yeah. I mean, really, the only complaint I can think of is more so a nitpick. You know, the fact that Cyberman, is, apparently, according to this story, is set up and based that a lot of the positions in Mondasian society have man in their title, like Doctor Man or Sister Man. I'm like, that's a little dumb. I don't know. I, I kind of like it. Yeah, like I, I like said, it it's it's less complaint and more nitpick. I don't know. I I kind of like the extra syllable in there, especially for when, you know, Zheng comes back at the very end of the story and says, Dr. Man Allen, we begin again. Yeah, I... Dr. Allen. It it doesn't sound quite right. Yeah. in In a way, it's almost written in to exemplify the Cyberman speech pattern and using that line as an example. Yeah. It, it, it makes sense that like that they would, mm, I don't know if it makes sense to, to like that they would look into the words so much. I don't know why I, 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 do, I just do like, it also makes the, the society feel more feel different. Yeah. It feels more alien. It feels different. It, it's unique in that way that like they wouldn't just use like, you know, doctor or healer in the same way that we would, you know, it's, it's just yeah. doctor man. And it's, it's a very slight difference, um, but it makes it feel different. I like it. Yeah, it just feels like a, a parallel evolution of a twin planet. So it's it it's a twin planet, but it develops slightly differently. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's just a great stuff. I love I also, love the characters. I, in- I really like the body horror in this one, like mm-hmm. especially with oh, shit, I can never remember her name. Yvonne. Yes, her. Went after she's been converted, like, oh. and, she, and her conversion malfunctions and doesn't go and doesn't work properly. Like, the fact that the Cybermen are these horrible botched monstrosities that can go wrong, or very you know, easily. What, what Thomas just, Dodd does for a living, just like, 
just like really is really chilling to me <laughs> i don't know like what happens to yvonne is really horrible and i'm not gonna spoil it but it is one of the best parts of the story indeed wait, wait why would you say brian everyone's heard fucking spare parts you could fucking spoil it <laughs> Actually, you're right. Who who's watching this? Who hasn't heard their part? <laughs> Come on, that's Brian. a good fucking point. <laughs> yeah, like the the fucking the fucking dramatic tension that happens with the with her family once she returns to them. It's just one of the most touching moments in Doctor Who, in a way. If you get what I mean, maybe not. Maybe touching isn't the right word for it, but it's still it's just like there aren't a lot of things that like can bring me to tears as far as like fiction goes this scene's one of them it it fucking hits kind of different and then Seriously? you know right after that scene how frank just sort of shuts down oh yeah it's yeah. it's such a it's horrible to think about it but like it's a realistic reaction to like what's going on like you just shut down you just can't emotionally deal with what's going on yeah oh jeez what a great story in a way it's I mean, I mean, obviously, the, the most immediate comparison for this story is Genesis of the Daleks, because, you know, it's just the Cyberman version of Genesis of the Daleks, but it is more bleak, I'd say. I think not only because, uh, pro- probably only because it's on the audio medium, you know, it's able to take it that extra step further, and uh, and you can't just play around with the ideas and the body horror of the Cybermen anymore. It's uh, it's wonderful. Yeah, I think it's it's so it's so evocative, and, and not many, I don't think there are many big Finnish audios that I could, like, perfectly imagine in a visual medium in my head but this is definitely one of them because oh yeah 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 because it is mm-hmm. just so masterfully written it's it's mark platt and i think it's i'd say this is probably mark platt's best story ever oh and without he, a doubt. I, I like how it sets the tone right from the outset that this story is going to be really fucked up with the man getting onto mondas's surface and just fucking screaming at the absolute desolation across the planet like it's it's fun it's so fucking bleak my one issue with it is why are we putting the kettle on until the end of the world i fucking hate the where everything we do is just put the kettle on frank Hmm? i'm a little confused by your point here brian oh um my my point is there's this really bad joke throughout it and it keeps coming back. It's the gag where we're putting the kettle on as the world ends and I just fucking hate it. It really takes me out of it. Like I said, I think works. after Yvonne's death it makes more sense because Frank essentially just shuts down, you know, emotionally, you know, he's just done. So, um I guess we are kind of going through these bit pretty fast. Anything else to say on spare parts? Uh, it's good. I will say, it's good. <laughs> I will say, I do think that, like, I, I hear a lot of people saying that, like, the two parter world enough in time and Dr. Falls just rips off spare parts. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't. It doesn't. yeah. I, I would disagree with that. 
Um, they're two very. I mean, stories. they they are they are similar enough to a point where Joey and I did a whole discussion on them. Well, like I mean, literally, the only connection there is that they're both Cyberman origin stories. It wasn't that they were similar stories. It was that right. like, what what's the better Cyberman origin story? Right. And, you know, and had that, the master not had, had the master not called it a Genesis of the Cyberman, I don't think that comparison would be made, honestly. Yeah, and that line is literally only there because Moffat still thinks that people care about the origins of the Cyberman. As if the Genesis of, of the Cyberman, because <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you get the joy. It's like Genesis of the Daleks. As <laughs> oh, 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 I see all right, um, so let's do our ratings out of 10 for spare parts. Uh, Marcus? Nine. Nine. I'm going to give it an 8.5 out of 10. Mason? 10. I give it a 10. ten. It's my favorite Cyberman story ever. Hot damn. Brian? Um, despite my stupid little nitpick with it, I'll give it a 10. Uh, I'm going to go back on Mason's point there of saying it's his favorite Cyberman story. First off, I'm gonna, I am I like... I can see it being someone's favorite Cyberman story, but I think there are some better things on TV. And I think I do just prefer the 10th planet as a plot to it. Like, if that uh, makes sense. Yeah, I, I can see. I, but, like, I, I don't agree with, with that. Preferring the 10th planet over this, but I'm trying to think what my favorite Cyberman story is. I mean, my favorite Cyberman story is Tomb of the Cybermen. I think mine would either be the moon base or the reaping. Oh, I love the oh the reaping's so good. <laughs> yeah, the, the reaping's really good, but I I I just love this one so much. I mean, it's even just, really just yeah, the reaping and the gathering. I love the gathering too. Oh no, I my mean, favorite uh, Cyberman. I mean, I mean, I mean the invasion. <laughs> oh seriously, <laughs> really uh, lame. Yeah, I love the invasion. I don't know why. It's, it's, it's in not terms even, of it's like not even the invasion is pretty really good. fucking bad. I mean, I mean, it's great, but like, come on, it's not like best Cyberman story. It's not even like. It's not even and, like a Cyberman and, story. Yeah, I just he, like it a lot. <laughs> it's not even like... Yeah, it's good. Like, the Cybermen aren't even like the, the best thing about it, though. Where the Cybermen are the main to... focus, what's my favorite Cyberman story? Can I count all of the Cyberman spinoff as a Cyberman story? Oh my god. Brian, fuck off. We're moving on to the next <laughs> one. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's move on to dot 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 ish by Phil Pasco. Uh, Ooh, I'll what? start this one. Who who the fuck said uh? That was me. <laughs> you know what? Hey, wait, I kind of oh, want no. Mason to start this. Mason, go ahead. Do it. Do it. Do it. Because I know you were just listening oh, to it what last night, right? God, yeah. Well, it was a couple. I, I think I listened to it like a, a week ago or so. I don't like this one. <laughs> I, I really don't like this one. <laughs> <laughs> what oh, is god. that noise <laughs> oh god i'm scared okay that is brian's I, I natural sound like <laughs> i just don't like it i don't like i think because last night or so i tweeted like what, what everyone's general opinion on it was because i wasn't sure and like i think two people replied and they said that they liked it and i, I was, was like oh, I, I was one of them i was like oh it's kind of underrated yeah i no no <laughs> What? No, I don't like it. It's just Marcus. Marcus, just give me. Do, do you like it or not? Yes. I'm not the edgy contrarian. Oh, you know, God. you know what's weird though is that Mason is actually like in the popular opinion though. We're all fucking idiots, and Mason's the okay. only sane one here. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot like, of people don't I like just, it. I just kind of feel like 
it's just kind of there. Like, it's a murder mystery. Like, yay. <laughs> Hooray. I just, I just don't get, like, I don't get why someone would think it's, um, it's underrated. I think it's perfectly, like, I will say, I don't think it's the worst thing ever. I just don't like it that much. I really enjoyed this story. I, I like the execution of the lexicon, and I like that guy, the robot, the robot who, Book? Book is his name. I love yeah. Book. Book is so fucking good. He reminds yeah. me of, like, Marvin, the paranoid android or something. He's just... Fucking Book. Fucking Book. I love <laughs> Fucking Book. <laughs> Mason, did you... Wait a minute. <laughs> Mason, could you just say that loud and clear for me one more time? I want to take this out of context. Say fucking book. <laughs> fucking book. Thank you. Okay. Book. You hate book? I really <laughs> hope I didn't wake up my sister because she's sleeping next door. I, I Well, <laughs> I, I just don't think he's a charming character. Oh, I really? Just, no. I, oh, I'm I love book. I mean, Brian's like, significantly more hurt than me because I just think Ish is average. I mean, it's good. Um, I really like it. I mean, it's this, cool. at least last I checked, I'm way overdue to think about it again. This is in my top ten favorite Colin audios. Oh, really? Yeah. It's I, mean, like, I, I mean, I like it. I like it, but I wouldn't put it that high. <laughs> like, because it's like, if you think about it, this is how <laughs> Mason it's like, going full David Tennant. He's like, what? 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 <laughs> Because it's like, you know, thinking about it, this premise, you know, this dictionary, all these lexicographers, that's how the Sixth Doctor peacocks. That's how he shows off. So this story, he's really in his element here. That's true. And I, 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 I love the idea of the omniverbum. I, I love the mythos behind it. I love the story. I love how it almost looked Kraftian, it seems. Yeah. And I, I was going to touch on that myself, Marcus, but I think you just nailed how I would have wanted to say it. Yeah, and I mean, my only real complaint is because, you know, I listen to these walking from work, walking to work, and I after we close and I'm still at the store, I listen to them. This is a story you can't plug in and go. Because of its setting, because of its premise, it's one you have to pay attention to. I, I actually disagree with that, because the last time I listened to it, I was actually working out at the gym. I, I, I was focusing on my workout, and I got pretty much every bit of it the first time i actually understood more the first time around or i mean the second time around than the first time around when i was just laying in my bed listening to it Mason I mean, is seething. also colin and nicola. <laughs> no. i mean also colin and nicola you know i was just going through big finish's catalog and it's actually really rare to see actually, them together actually if i had one complaint with this story is that i think I think this is one of Nicola Bryant's weakest Big Finish performances. No, I think she's quite good in this. I'm this not, when, I don't know. I'm no, just no, no, not... no, no, no. Cause I, I'm going to disagree because I think this is just like when she was really getting on, like back into her stride with with uh, Davison and doing the Airman stuff. So, like, I think she she is really on top of her game here. And also, like, just you know, given the people who've watched the TV show, given their consensus on Perry, I like how intelligent this story portrays her you know like i think a lot of people took her as sort of ditzy kind of a bimbo and i really like how intelligent she comes off in this story 
Oh, definitely. Yeah, I agree with that. Well, yeah, and, like, and, and, and I mean, like, Big, Big Finish has just done wonders for Perry as a character, and this is a fine example of that. What else I like about this story, another positive about it, is it slots right, it, like, the feel of it slots right in with season 22 perfectly. Like, yeah, this is a yeah, really, but... really good, like, recapturing that initial 80s vibe story and it's not even i know you don't like it but i think that this and whispers of terror both fit in really well with the style i i can i can agree with that yeah yeah despite not liking whispers of terror i will concede to that point yeah i i will give it that i i do like colin and uh and uh nicola in this story yeah yeah, yeah they... I, I, I like them yeah this feels this feels like one of those uh those lost stories releases where the the just the feel of it recaptures that. But it that is but it is it is also a story very suited to the audio medium at the same time. So it, it finds that nice balance between fitting nicely in with the TV era it takes place in and being a big Finnish audio. And you know, comparing it to the lost stories, it's still not as small scale as a TV story or the lost stories would be. Yeah, yeah. I I don't um, know, like, because like whenever I listen to this, I just can't get an idea of like what the characters are like, where they're sitting or what they're doing. I just don't really like the sound design in this one. Really? Yeah, I think I, I, think, it, I think it's rather interesting, actually. I mean, it's interesting. I'll give it that, but like, I just don't think it creates a great image in my head. Huh. huh. Interesting. All right. Um, well, that was, I think that was actually the most productive conversation we've had so far. Um, uh, any other thoughts on Ish? Nope. All right, cool. That was actually quite concise. All right, let's give our rings out of 10 for Ish. I'm going to give it a 6 out of 10. Marcus? 8. Uh, Brian? 9. Damn. Okay. Oh, All right. No. Wow. Okay, Mason, go ahead. I just <laughs> hurt Mason's own oh, no. <laughs> Rip Brian's heart oh, to shreds. Go I ahead. just feel bad. I'm gonna give this one a. Oh, no. I'm going back and forth. I heard, I heard this man. I heard this man. He was about to say three. I want to hear what he's gonna say <laughs> now. I'm I'm go I'm going between a three and a four. So I'm gonna go three point five. Oh damn. Okay. Wow. So all across the board for this one. Yeah. <laughs> Brian, any thoughts on that before I move on to the, on to the last story? <laughs> I'm fucking hurt. <laughs> <laughs> the physical pain I feel in my heart. It's too much to bear. I will be my, hanging my, from a ceiling. My disappointment fence. is immeasurable and my day is ruined. Um, <laughs> all right. And I was having such a nice day. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our last story today, The Rapture by the wonderful Joseph Lidster. Who would like to begin? Nuts. All right. Nuts. 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 We have to begin Nuts. this one because Nuts. this was Nuts. This, Nuts. This, thing, Nuts. this thing Nuts. was Nuts. released Nuts. the Nuts. month I was born. September 2002. This is this is the me story. This is and like what a <laughs> fucking story to have on your birthday month. Like holy shit. What this this thing's great. I love it to bits. It's so fun, experimental in how it does its everything. And it's just ah, I love the characters. I love I love the gimmick behind it. And, and I'm not I sure. Mean, I mean, I mean, even putting aside the story for a second, just looking at the cover, it's so intriguing because it's an album. 
It's a fucking album. I love that. And 17, the, 17 blistering tracks. You know, when you actually like download it from the Big Finish website, it's 17 tracks. I love that. Like, like also fucking, it just fits in really nicely after Cold It's. Can I just say that? This is oh, a really, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. this is like one of the best remember, ways you like, could have followed up on Cold It's. I remember not being like, like other than like, you know, the, the, the cool looking album gimmick on, on the cover, you know, I was like, I was kind of intrigued by this, but after I heard cold, it's like, this bumped up way, way high up on my listening list. I was like, I have to listen to the rapture immediately. I need to see where this goes because the doctor and ACE are on thin fucking ice in this story. And I love the explanation for it in the third act. Yeah. You know, yeah. about why cold, it's affected ACE so much. Because it happened to her in the one place she could escape from. Yeah. Oh, geez. So, mm-hmm. so good. So good. Ace's character in, in this is so, so great. I um, love this audio so much. It's really great. Yeah. And like, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, fuck, I'm fucking a nerd for cringy electronic music. I'm not into <laughs> dubstep or anything, but like the soundtrack to this, the sort of techno thing going on, I really like it. It not a fan cool. of the nightclub remix of the theme myself, but yeah. Oh no, I like the nightclub remix. I like how like the like how it's got the gimmick of like the announcer leading us into the episodes. It's great. Yeah, that was clever. Speaking of which, I did also like the sound design for episode two. How you had those three different conversations going on, and one would transition into the other very seamlessly. Oh yeah, and it's not confusing either. Like that, yeah, something something like that can get really easily muddled on the audio medium, and it works really well here. Yeah. Oh, crap. Something happened. I'll be back in like 45 seconds. You got it. All right. Uh, let's vamp without him for a second because he hasn't actually said anything yet in this conversation. <laughs> um, no, but I do like the Doctor and Ace in this. Uh, like I already said, like their their relationship is wonderful because, because it's so strained. Um, and a lot of people I know don't like the whole Ace wanting to be known as McShane thing. I quite like it, though, because it makes sense. <clears throat> coming coming straight off of Colditz, and this leads straight into the Hex arc then. A lot yeah. of timelines say this comes like a really long time before Hex, and I, I just say no. Well Thanks. yeah, because oh yeah, that makes no sense because it's like um it's the people that are like, oh yeah, well you know you have to fit in everything before the VNAs, and it's all one timeline when like there's literally an ace mind wipe written into the big finished canon that you can put this after the VNAs. Yeah, I mean it still works. Although really one of my yeah. things is this seems to be one of McCoy's weaker performances. It's not bad. It's just compared to what's come before this and some of the stuff that comes after this, this seems like one of his weaker performances. Really? Because I think a lot of, I think all of McCoy's early main range performances are absolutely spot on. This one, in I don't know. I think it's like the one or two scenes where he comes in and shouts. It, it feels really forced and kind of fake. I, Hmm. I, I can't put my finger on it. I I think this is one of his stronger performances. Yeah, I think he's quite good. I, in this I actually think like in the first one hundred big finish audios, those are some of McCoy's best performances as the Doctor. Oh yeah, you've like, got some. This absolutely. is no exception. Like there's the there's the, there's the odd one towards the very very beginning, which is a bit shit. Let's be honest, he's kind of terrible and. Sirens of Time, but no, no this one. I he... like him in Sirens of Time. Fuck off. Really? Brian. Really? Yeah, he's great at that okay. one. Okay, okay. I came back and I love him in Sirens of Time. See, he's fucking great. <laughs> yeah, because but... because well, because McCoy like because it's so because it is like not terribly long after the classic series ended. So McCoy is still on that. He still understands how to play the Doctor at that point. Like at least understands how to play him. Like 
at a point after the TV show. So, like, he understands a very somber doctor and, uh, you know, stuff like Simons of Time, Cold, it's this story, Master, Master especially. I think he hits his he hits his stride right around um, right around Cold, it's actually. Actually, oh, but he's no. Great, but he's, he's great, great in Fear Monger. He's great. Yeah, I was gonna say he's great in Fear Monger. Yeah, he's wonderful. Yeah. In that. Uh, okay, so yeah, he hits his stride fairly early on, and it doesn't really decrease until very much later. Yeah. Um, because like, yeah, I'll admit his his performances as of late have been great. Even even if the scripts are really good, like you know, McCoy's more a mouthpiece for the Seventh Doctor anymore. He's not. Yeah, out of all the doctors, like, I, I I really hate to talk about one of my all time favorite doctors this way, but like McCoy, as of late, is is he's just the voice of the seventh Doctor. He doesn't really play the character terribly well anymore. Yeah, no, it's mm. out of all the doctors who do big finish stuff, McCoy is the one I most see see most often get accused of just sleepwalking through a script. I wouldn't say he ever does that. Like he at least like he takes the time to like put character into it but never quite fully understanding where the doctor is at in his life whenever he's recording yeah because I, I think i heard him say at one point that he kind of preferred well he 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 equally likes playing the clownish doctor and the um like the manipulative one and i mm-hmm. think he cares a little bit more about the clownish one but as of late he doesn't really get to play that side of him anymore yeah, yeah. Well, could, I mean, did anyone hear the um the season twenty four trilogy? I forget what year it was in twenty fifteen. I want to say the one with We Are the Daleks, Warehouse, and Terror of the Santarans. I've heard We Are the Daleks. Me the only too. one I have, the only one I haven't heard from that is Terror of the Santarans, and like he's phenomenal in that because that's oh, full yeah. on season twenty four. He's being a fucking clown. I love it. Um, yeah, he's 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 great in those, but. I mean, but back on getting trying to get back on track at least early on like yeah he he plays somber doctor really well and I think he's he's quite good in this one. I also quite like um the familial ties to Ace in this story. Mm. Oh, yeah, I think I did all the really side care on that for fear of how how that ties into like VNA stuff. No, like, it's it, no. It's I, not I was VNA. thinking it's, maybe it's, you'd mm-hmm. be like really re-triggered over that but oh, no, it's, it, no, it's, yeah it's it's cool. a, i like it DNA it's a nice aspect of the story yeah i think of all yeah. the side characters in this story um liam and jude are my favorites yeah they're great um mm-hmm. yeah great stuff and and i love the way that like um like because obviously now we have the context of all of the other stuff that's happened with ace it makes like the goodbye between ace and her brother just that little bit more like somber because she doesn't really get to go back. Yeah, definitely. All right. Um, I guess that's about it. Anything else to add on the rapture before we do ratings? Nope. All righty then. Let's do a ratings out of 10 for the rapture. Uh, Mason. I'm going to give it an eight. Eight. Uh, Brian. I'm going to give it another nine. Hell yeah. I agree. Nine. Marcus. Seven. Damn, okay. Uh, <laughs> all right, so I guess only one thing left to do at this point, and that is uh, rank these eight stories from least favorite to favorite. So I'm going to go first. I'm going to go uh, bottom, Time of the Daleks, Embrace the Darkness, Ish, Neverland, Spare Parts, Seasons of Fear, The Rapture, and The Chimes of Midnight at the top. I'm going to get it? fucking murked for my ranking. Oh, so you know I'm pretty sure you're I am. <laughs> like we all are <laughs> Brian go ahead <laughs> so at the bottom I have Embrace the Darkness followed by Time of the Daleks and those are the only two I don't like the rest of these are 
all range from 8 to 10. So after that, we have Neverland, followed by Seasons of Fear, Ish, The Rapture, Spare Parts, and Chimes. Nice. Marcus? All right, so at number 8, I have The Time of the Daleks. Number 7, I have Embrace the Darkness. Number 6, I have The Rapture. 5, I have Neverland. (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) Gore. 4, if you're patient, I will explain my reasoning on 4. The Chimes of Midnight. Three's-ish. Two is Spare Parts. One is Seasons of Fear. Brother, Did you just say brother, that ish is better brother, than Chimes of for Midnight? For once on the rankings, well, no. I'm not. I'm not edgy. <laughs> Here's the thing. Here's the thing. <laughs> and, and, and he gave Chimes a ten too. He gave Chimes a fucking ten. Well, you know. Well, I've said this before. When I rank the stories, I ignore the ratings I gave them. Now I'm. Here's the thing. Just Chimes of Midnight, my one issue is its re-listenability. Any of the stories on this list, I could go, oh, I haven't heard that in a while, and re-listen to it. Chimes, it's not the same. I really have to be in the mood to want to re-listen to it. Chimes is one of the only three stories on this uh in this uh in this podcast that I've actually re-listened to. It's so great. It's got great re-listen value. It's a Rob Sherman. All all Rob Sherman stories are re-listenable. If you, if you're depressed enough, you know. Um, so, I'm so, just like, uh, I, I I I heard this right. You put Ish above Chimes of Midnight. You did. You did I don't miss... even agree with that, and I fucking love Ish. <laughs> okay, so so now I'm curious for Masons. Go ahead. Well. Let's see here. Where's where, where is it? There it is. Okay. The bottom of his. Yeah, the bottom is uh, number eight is Ish. Then Time of the Daleks. Then Embrace the Darkness. Then Seasons of Fear. Then The Rapture. Then Neverland, Spare Parts, and Chimes of Midnight. Nice. See that that's the most vanilla ranking here. I love that. Oh. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> nothing, no, nothing against you, Ethan, but like, yeah, I feel like that's the general consensus of a lot of people. That's uh, that works. All right, so uh, I guess that about does it for this celestial podcast. Let's wrap it up with plugs. Who would like to plug shit first? I have shit to plug. Shit to plug. Go ahead, Brian. Plug when, your shit. When when is when is this coming out? This is coming out. I think the 29th All right. So in two days. Okay, so two days. Um, yeah. well. Last weekend, I put out my review of... The oh, actually, wait, wait, sorry. I, I should specify, for those listening, this is May's Celestial Podcast. I just have other videos to catch up on next month, so this is coming out a few days before May. Sorry. Go ahead, Brian. All right, so last weekend, I I put out my latest Doctor Who review, which was the Suntaran Experiment. Uh, so, you know, go to my channel for your monthly shit opinion um then this week this weekend i should be putting up the next installment of my girlfriend and i watching doctor who so there's that and then the weekend after that uh a discussion video that joey connor and jacob and i recorded about the 10th doctor so that's what's coming in the immediate future egg salad all right marcus anything to plug Uh, 
Yep, just my channel, The Sentinel, and my series, Sentinel Reviews. Currently, I'm reviewing the Big Finish spinoff, Sarah Jane Smith. At the time of recording this, because you said it will go up in two days, I just released my review of Buried Secrets, the first story of Series 2. Sweet. Awesome. And, and Mason... reviews oh, are released sorry. every Monday. Awesome. Mason? I think I'm the most different channel out of everyone else. I talk about books like more so than everything else. So in turn, if you are interested in the Virgin New Adventures in any way, I usually do reviews on those. I think the most recent video I did was talking about the first five Virgin Missing Adventures. But I think a good starting point for my channel is to watch the review of Theodore Gale and Oz because I, th I think that's one of my best videos. Um, beyond that, uh, go follow me on Twitter because I tweet a lot. Um, like a lot, um, but Indeed. <laughs> beyond that, I don't think I have much else. Cause I, I don't really have a plan for my videos. I just plan. I, I just make videos that I want to make in the moment and then I just make them. So look forward to whatever comes out of my head next. Awesome. And uh, as far as, uh, my own channel plugs, uh, stuff coming up on this channel starting May 9th. The three-part weekly release of Doctor Who Warhead comes out. That is the next Doctor Who novel adaptation. I just finished editing it a couple days ago, and it's a really solid project, I think. It uh, should be really fun. And, so be look and for, make, be make sure you check out the trailer I edited for that in the movie. <laughs> because it's really good, and I'm very uh, proud of myself for it. That too. Um, so yeah, that coming up, uh, we're continuing the Love and War audiobook. Uh, I think I said last podcast this should be done about uh, August-ish. That should be when I'm, I'm done with the audiobook, um, hopefully. Uh, what else do we have coming up? We have more Clone Wars reviews. We're doing monthly Clone Wars reviews. Uh, we're going to keep those going for a while. Um, for the foreseeable future, at least. Uh, what else? Do, 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 do. What else do I do? Oh, yeah, commentaries. Oh, yeah, we're doing two commentaries next month um, because we skipped one this month. So we'll be catching up next month with the Keys of Marinus and Battlefield. So that should be really fun. Uh, we're going to have Connor on the Keys of Marinus one, so that should be cool. Uh, what else? What else? What else? And I think that about does it. Uh, anything else? Is it else? just you and me for Battlefield, or is Jacob on that? Um, I'll see if I can get anyone else on for Battlefield. I don't know. It may just end up being the both of us. I kind of, we haven't done one with just you and me since Mind Robber, I think. So we should probably do another one of those. Indeed. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta get Mason on one of these someday soon. All right. Uh, so I guess that about does it. Thank you all for listening to the Celestial Podcast. Thank you all for coming on. You guys have been awesome. Thank you for listening. Until next time, this has been Joey Morgan with Security Kitchen Productions. Goodbye. Not.
Hello and welcome to the Celestial Podcast, the Doctor Who podcast hosted by Joey. Oh, wait, fuck. Hang on. I had a better <laughs> idea for this. Hang on. I had a better idea, and I just kept. I just kept going with the one. Hang on. All right, here we go. This is what I want to do. Hello and welcome to Celestial Podcast, the Doctor Who podcast that is really underwhelmed by the Time Lord Victorious. Today we're talking about the. I fucked that up again. Damn it. <laughs> I haven't fucked up the intro in a while. Damn it. All right, here we go. Last try. Hello and welcome to the Celestial Podcast, the Doctor Who podcast that is really underwhelmed by the Time Lord Victorious. Today I'm here. Fuck. Why can't what I get I this right? What if I just do the intro? I'm going to give it one last shot, and if I fuck it up again, Mason, I can do didn't it. Didn't this happen with Dylan while we were on the Spyfall thing or something? He, he just I, kept I, fucking up. I don't think I so. I haven't fucked up the Celestial Podcast intro for the longest time. God and damn. is this a, this a direct reference to my tweet from earlier, or are you feeling the same? Well, oh yeah, I, I'm I'm very underwhelmed by it. Okay. Here, all right, here we go.